As we begin message today, if you guys will stand with us, we're going to read scripture. Angela Stalkup is going to come and read for us. I'll be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you truly the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thank you, Angela. And would you guys just remain standing and let's just uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we uh, open his word this morning. Father God, we come to you again this morning. We thank you for our mothers. We thank you for uh, the wonderful things they have done for us. We pray for them today, even those that are hurting, those that are sad, those that are grieving moms, those that are unable. Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for these graduates as well. Holy Spirit, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you might penetrate our hearts, that we might see our desperate need for Jesus, that we might cling to the cross, or if we have already come to faith in Jesus, we might cling more closely to the cross. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, move through the preacher this morning, have your way in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Didn't get up here in time to get your flower, huh, Deanna? Just help yourself. Hey, welcome to Centennial Church. My name is Ross. We're so happy that you're here. We're so happy it's Mother's Day. We're so proud of our graduates. Uh, Way to go. Um, You may not have noticed, but in that little basket, in that care basket that we gave to our graduates, there were a couple books in there. There There was a book for the parents It's a book called Five Things to Pray for Your Kids, and we also gave the graduates a classic book called Mere Christianity. Everybody in this room needs to own that book, okay? You've you've probably heard it said, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Have you heard that? We've all heard that, right? Well, uh, a few years ago, several years ago, I was in a used bookstore, which is not uncommon for me, but I was in a used bookstore browsing, and I just saw a book and judged it by its cover and thought, I have to have that book. I've got to have that book. 
And so I picked it up, and the book is called Meet Jesus. You like the cover? I mean, meet Jesus. Here he is, right here, uh, with wavy, wonderful hair, square jaw, uh, incredibly white, uh, not so Middle Eastern, not so Jewish looking to me, but here's this wonderful book called Meet Jesus, and, and here he is. Now, let me confess to you, I haven't read this book yet, okay? I bought it for the cover. I judged it by the cover uh, because I think it sends an inaccurate message about who Jesus was, or particularly, especially what Jesus looked like. Now, the prophet Isaiah said that Jesus wasn't really much to look at. He probably didn't have a square jaw. His beard probably wasn't so nicely groomed. This, this Jesus Looks like he fits kind of in the era that this book was probably written in the 1970s, uh, and probably looks kind of like he grew up in middle America, kind of Wichita, Kansas or something. Uh, Not from Bethlehem, not in Nazareth. Don't judge a book by its cover, but nevertheless, the title of the book is important. We need to meet Jesus. We need to meet Jesus. Christianity centers not upon a moral code, Not upon some energy or some power, but Christianity is centered on this person, Jesus. And all throughout the scriptures, the New Testament, people are meeting Jesus. And we're called to meet Jesus. But the important thing is, are we meeting the true Jesus? Do we have an accurate picture of who that Jesus is? So in this summer series called Encountering Jesus, we are looking at these places where individuals, primarily individuals in the Gospel of John, are meeting Jesus. And we're seeing what they learn of Jesus, what he is truly like, and how he interacts with all these these different types of people. Even if the cover is misleading, the point is accurate. We need to meet Jesus. And the scriptures tell us, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, Verses 15, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you need to figure out what Jesus is like. You need to meet Jesus. And Dave, uh, Job, kicked this series off by taking us first to the book of Hebrews, where it says, if you want to run the race of faith... You look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And last week I said, you don't just begin the Christian life by meeting Jesus, looking at Jesus, and then start looking at something else. You meet Jesus by looking at Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then you run the Christian life, you run the race of endurance by continuing to look at Jesus. You don't leave the gospel, you don't leave Jesus and move on to something else. You go deeper into Jesus, you go deeper into the gospel, you continually Look unto Jesus. Or Paul will say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says this. He says, we're changed, we're transformed. How? By beholding the glory of the Lord. And in John's gospel, you'll see over and over this called, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. What is, what is he saying? Look, behold, treasure. Focus your eyes. Consider, concentrate, look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so that's what we're attempting to do in this series, 
to look to Jesus, perhaps for some of us for the first time with clarity, for some of us being reminded again of the God that we worship, of the God that saved us, of the God that we love, rekindling our passion and our faith in Jesus. This morning we come to a famous passage, and it's got the most famous verse in the Bible contained in it, John 3.16. That's where we're going to be this morning. But my purpose this morning in the message, here's my purpose. Wrote it down. This is what I, I, I want to accomplish this morning. I want to argue this morning that Bible Belt, morally upright, church-going, respectable people, that's a lot of folks in this room, Bible Belt, morally upright, church-going, respectable people need Jesus and to be born again, the new birth, as much as anyone. Good people, respectable people, great Americans, upstanding citizens need Jesus and they need to be reborn as much as anyone as much as the worst of us, as much as the disrespected and the lowest on the social tier, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs to be born again. And that's the story that we find here in John chapter 3 about Nicodemus. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it to John chapter 3. You've probably got at least one verse underlined. If you underline in your Bible, you've probably got one verse at least underlined in John chapter 3. We'll get to that later. That's actually not going to be the, the bulk of my focus this morning. I have two major points this morning, okay? You're surprised. Usually it's three, right? Just two major headings this morning. Now, don't begin to think that that means it's going to be a shorter message, okay? Not true. Got a lot to say under those two headings, but here's, here's the major headings. Here's the two points. The need for the new birth and the nature of the new birth, okay? And by new birth, I primarily mean that phrase that Jesus used, you must be born again. The need for the new birth and the nature of the new birth. So first of all, we start here with the need for the new birth, okay? First three verses there primarily where Jesus says, you must be born again. Verses 1 through 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3. And Jesus answered, truly, truly. Some of your translations might say, verily, verily. Listen up, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Now, born again, what does this mean? And uh, this is really the only chapter in the Bible that uses the phrase exactly that way, born again. Now, the Bible in the New Testament talks about being reborn, and it talks about the new birth, other places, but this is really the only chapter. It talks about seed being planted, being birthed through the seed of the Word, but this is the only chapter that really talks about being born again. Now, 
In our context today, when most people hear the word born again, okay, outside of, or perhaps even in here this morning, but particularly in our wider culture, I think when most people hear the phrase born again Christian, they have a stereotype, a type of who a born again Christian is, okay? You might be some, some images, some things might be popping in your head right now about what a born again Christian is. From my understanding, uh, and I grew up primarily in the 80s, but my understanding is that when Jimmy Carter was president, he, he kind of made this phrase popular in culture. He, he claimed to be a born-again Christian. But I think for most people, as they hear that term born-again Christian, born again Christian they, they tend to think about types of people. So a born-again Christian, okay, I know what that is. That's a type of person. That's a, that's a type of Christian. And it might be someone who really just hit rock bottom in their life. And they started going to a 12-step program or something, and they found God. They found Jesus, and now they're born again. So it's someone, it's a, it's a type of person that's hit, it's, that's hit rock bottom. It's someone, it's a type of person that really needs a strong kind of moral or spiritual structure to them. Kind of a firm, a moral code. That's the type of person who would be born again. Or maybe you think uh, that a born-again person or the wider culture thinks that a born-again person is someone who's just kind of a simple-minded person, a born-again Christian. They're kind of simple, or maybe they're intellectually flimsy. Unfortunately, I think this term also has become politicized today. So when you hear the term born-again Christian, you think, oh, those are those conservative types. Those are just those conservative politically people. Another name for politics is a born-again Christian. That's unfortunate. But I think most people would, would hear the term born-again Christian and they would say that's for a type of person. And what I want to show us this morning is that a born-again Christian is the only type of Christian there is. And that everyone, regardless of your morality or your immorality, needs to be born again. And who does Jesus give these instructions to? We see it right here in this guy named Nicodemus. And what do we know about him? He's a man of the Pharisees. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a rabbi. And he, 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 he comes by night because he's curious about Jesus. He's seen the signs that we've read about in John chapter 1 and John chapter 2. But this guy, Nicodemus, is not a guy who's hit rock bottom. He's, he's not a guy uh, who's just had a, an emotional, experiential uh, experience. He is at the upper crust of society. He's respected. There's no one that's kept the law and been more moral and, and upstanding and, and vigilant about keeping God's law than a Pharisee. He was a member of this council in Israel in Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin, a ruling body. Now, Pharisees make up a very small percentage of Israel as a whole, but they were the upper crust. These are the Bible scholars. These are the pastors of the day. And this guy, who's respected, comes to Jesus because he's, cur he's curious about the signs. He's curious about what Jesus has been teaching. And he comes and he gives Jesus respect. He calls him a rabbi. He calls him a teacher. And what this tells us is that even the best, even the brightest, need Jesus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you don't just need one other good deed, you need 
to be reborn. You need to be made alive. Your problem isn't that you haven't done enough good deeds. In fact, your good deeds are actually kind of a problem. They're kind of a challenge because they've blinded you to your need for me, the Savior. Even good, respected, morally upright people need Jesus. And Jesus just cuts right to the chase with this guy in verse 3 and says, you need to be born again. Now, it's fascinating Jesus is a lot more direct with Nicodemus than he was even with Nathaniel, who we saw last week. And next week, we're going to look at a lady from Samaria in John chapter 4. And you're going to see Jesus' amazing gentleness with this outsider. But right here, with this religious insider, he's very direct. And he just says, you need to be born again. He's just kind of in his business He says, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this surprises Nicodemus. It's not what he thought. And Jesus is telling him here, you don't just need some vitamins or some supplements. You need to be remade. You need to be made alive. Jesus is challenging his righteousness. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells the people gathered there for his sermon. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And here Jesus is telling Nicodemus, if you're not born again, you cannot see, or on down in a few verses, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you're reborn. It's not something more that you need to do. It's not something that you need to add to your life. It's not something that you need to subtract from your life. It's that you need to be transformed inside. Even though you come as this kind of together, respected person. My fear for us this morning in the Bible Belt, here on a Sunday morning as pretty good people, is that we, like Nicodemus, would have kind of religious garb, would have religious rituals, would have the appearance of really good morality, but we're not yet born again. We have not yet seen our need Not for church or religion, but for a savior of our bad deeds. And get this, a savior for our good deeds. What Jesus is showing Nicodemus here is that our sin problem is much deeper, much more pervasive, much wider than we typically see it. See, we typically think we kind of have a shallow definition of sin. We, we often define sin as the bad stuff that we do. But what we see here in Nicodemus and in Jesus' teaching all over the place is that in reality, sin is much more than just bad stuff that we do. Sin is deeper than that. Sin encompasses all of humanity. Sorry, that's kind of hard to read up there, but let me read it to you. Sin encompasses all of humanity, every person, and all parts of our person. 
mind, emotion, and will. Sin is not just in our actions, but in our attitudes. It's not just in our deeds, but it's also in our motives. Sin is not just bad deeds, it's also good deeds done for bad reasons. Maybe that's you and me. Maybe that was Nicodemus. We sin by commission, wrongs we've done, and we also sin by omission, goods that we haven't done. We sin by overstepping God's boundaries and by failing to meet his standards. We sin through our unrighteousness and through our self-righteousness. Sin is not only disobeying God, it's also ignoring God or using God to get what we want. Sin is not only loving the wrong things, it's also loving good things too much. We sin when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. And sin is not only individual and personal, it's also communal and systemic. Sin taints our hearts, but it also wrecks our world. Sin is not just our unrighteous behavior, it's also our self-righteous judgment of others' behaviors. Everyone knows to repent of their bad deeds, but it's only Christians who repent of their good deeds. Whoa. Ouch. That's a Jesus understanding of sin and brokenness. That's a biblical understanding of sin. So what do we do? (laughs) Man, we sin in all these different ways and all these different parts of us and all these different motives. What do we do? We're flattened, guilty before God because of this pervasive, indwelling sin. So the famous hymn writer, John Newton, who had been a slave owner himself, wrote that famous him, Amazing Grace, that we all know, right? John Newton said this. He said, I know two things very clearly, that I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. What do you do if you have this definition of sin? Well, you're humbled because you see that even your goodness is tainted, that your goodness is not enough to get you to God. You have to be born again. So it humbles us. But Jesus also gives us hope because he goes to the cross and he dies for those sins. So this guy, Nicodemus, at the upper crust, a member of the Sanhedrin, a teacher of Israel, if he needs to be reborn, Jesus' point is we all need to be reborn. And he actually, as Jesus talks to him here, it's in the second person plural. It says, you all. You all must be reborn, even though he's just talking to Nicodemus one-on-one. If Nicodemus needs to be reborn, then everybody in Israel needs to be reborn. Let me compare it like this. So in a couple weeks, Glenn and Tyler will walk across the stage. They'll be a valedictorian or a salutatorian. Imagine if you hear that the valedictorian of the senior class doesn't get accepted into college. (laughs) They didn't make the cut. 
If the valedictorian doesn't make the cut, then guess what happens to all the people like me on the bottom rung of the graduating class? Well, that means I'm not going to get in either. It's an analogy. It's in a comparison. If the valedictorian can't make the cut, if the valedictorian can't get accepted, then neither can the rest of us. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. If he fails on merit, then we all fail on merit. So Jesus' point here is that in order to be born again, you first of all have to see your need. The only thing that's needed is need. And Nicodemus was maybe just beginning to understand his need. What's needed is need. What's required is humility. My good deeds are never enough that the cross isn't necessary. My good deeds are never enough that the cross of Jesus is not necessary. And my bad deeds are never so bad that the cross doesn't cover them. So we're humbled with hope because Jesus went to the cross. So the need for the new birth is for everyone. It's for Nicodemus. It's for the Pharisees. And it's for good people like you and me. Have you seen your need? So that's the need for the new birth. Let's look onward here at the nature of the new birth. Nick is puzzled. And if I wanted to make a bad church joke here, I would say that this Nick here is the first episode of Nick at Night. That's why I wasn't going to say that. But I feel like we needed a transition right here. He comes at night, Nick at night, and he's puzzled. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he, in, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's puzzled. And so Jesus goes on to explain the new birth. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is explaining to this teacher here, Nicodemus, the nature of the new birth. And we see, as Jesus explains it here, a couple things about the new birth. First of all, the new birth is by the Spirit. Second of all, the new birth is from above. And then thirdly, the new birth is through faith, okay? The new birth is by the Spirit, from above, and through faith. So let's talk about those. He says there in verse, beginning of verse 5, or verse 6, he explains, that which is born of the flesh and flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is 
Do not, or excuse me, verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus is like, I don't get it. You want me to go back in my mother's womb? You want me to be born again? I don't, I don't understand what you mean. And then Jesus explains it by giving this. He adds, not just are you born again, but in verse 5 he says you're born of water and the Spirit. And a lot of ink has been spilled about what this means. First he says you need to be born again, and then he explains it, but kind of confuses us by saying you need to be born of water and of Spirit. So what is he talking about here? So some people have said, well, he's talking about natural birth, and then he's talking about spiritual birth. The water is you're born through water. The water breaks. You're born through water. The amniotic fluid protects the baby. You're born through water the first time, naturally, and then you're born of the Spirit. There's other people that have said, well, this is really your picturing baptism. Baptism pictures the new birth, and you're born of water. You're saved through the water and you're baptized in the Spirit. I don't think either of those explanations are the best. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's taking Nicodemus back to his Old Testament, and he's using water and Spirit, both of those two things, to signify the one thing of being born again. You're born of water and the Spirit. And this is the verse that I think he's alluding to Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through, through 27. So hang with me here. I think this is on the screen. Ezekiel 36. Listen to what the prophet says here. Hundreds of years before Nicodemus. I will sprinkle. This is the promise of the new covenant, okay? And it's described like this in Ezekiel as well as Jeremiah. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's the water part. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. There's spirit, lowercase s, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, uh, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's what I think he's doing. I think, teacher of Israel, think back to your Old Testament. You're born again. This is the promise of the new covenant that I will cleanse you with water by the word, and then I will impart my spirit upon you. Interestingly, Paul draws on this same imagery in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, and now look here, by washing... Water, okay, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing and Spirit. You got to be washed and you got to have the Holy Spirit. That's what I think he's saying here. He also says, you can translate this, so you're born by the Spirit, you're also born from above. And he says the Spirit is coming. The, the translation of born again can be translated born again or it can be, be translated born above. I think Jesus is implying both things. You're born again and you're born from above. He's going to talk about the wind, okay, in verse 
8 and 9. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. You see the effects of the wind, but you don't see it. And the wind is the same word for spirit. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, and as well as in the New Testament, the same word for wind is the same word for spirit. So what is Jesus saying? Put all of this together. He's saying the new birth, being born again, happens by the spirit. You don't see him working, but you see the effects. You you know the effects in your heart. People see the effects in your changed life. You're born by the Spirit, and you're born from above. It's something that God's doing within you, upon you. Okay? God is doing this. He's putting his Spirit upon you. He's transforming you from above by the Spirit. But then thirdly, He transforms us through faith. And that's where He goes in the next part of the passage, verses 14, 15, and 16. So right here in John chapter 3, okay? Hang with me. Right here in John chapter 3, we have two twin truths that we have to keep together. Okay, They're difficult to understand, but they're critical that we embrace both of them. And truth number one is that the Spirit brings the new birth. The Spirit gives life. The wind blows and we see the effects of it, but God is doing it through the Spirit. Okay, You can call that God's sovereignty. But the second twin truth is this idea that we respond through faith. The Spirit's working, but people that are born again, people that are made new, they respond through faith. So that's the illustration that he's going to use in verses 14 and 15, where he refers Nicodemus to this other Old Testament story that happens in Numbers chapter 21. Okay, Write that down, go read it later this afternoon or tonight. But in Numbers chapter 21, what happens is the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they've been grumbling and complaining. They're like, God, why did you bring us out here? Just take us, wouldn't it be better to be back in Egypt? They're grumbling and grumbling and grumbling, something that I, you know, we never do. But they're grumbling and, and snakes come, poisonous snakes come and they be, begin biting them. Numbers chapter 21, it's wild. And God tells Moses, put a serpent, put a bronze serpent up on a pole, all right? The thing that's biting you, put it up on the pole. And every time you're bitten, You look up at that pole with the bronze snake, and when you look up at the pole, you'll be healed of the poisonous snake. And what happens? They're bitten, and then if they would just gaze, if they would just look up at the bronze serpent on the pole, they would be healed. They would be saved. And Jesus uses this Old Testament picture, this illustration to talk about himself. So verse 14 and 15 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, up on the pole, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You're going to die. You've been poisoned by sin. And Jesus is saying, you look to Jesus who has been lifted up, who will be lifted up on the cross. You look to Jesus and what happens? You're healed. You're saved from your sins. Not by working, 
Not by making yourself better, not by a self-improvement process, but by looking to Jesus on the cross. You're saved. You're healed. The cross, again, is an affront to our unrighteousness because it says you're so bad. Ross, you are so bad. Your sin is so bad that God himself had to go to the cross to pay for it. The cross is an affront to my unrighteousness. It's a judgment on my unrighteousness. But the cross is also a judgment upon my self-righteousness, upon my goodness, because my goodness couldn't get me to God. If my goodness could get me to God, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and hang on a cross. But the fact that he hangs on the cross for me says, I am sinful in my unrighteousness, and I am sinful in my self-righteousness. It humbles me with giving me hope. And therefore, for thousands, for hundreds of years, for hundreds of years while you've had television, you see the guy behind the end zone with John 3.16, right? John 3.16. You see Tim Tebow, John 3.16. You see the guy behind the goal, John 3.16, as somebody shooting free throws. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, here's the crazy thing. We think John 3.16 is for the really needy people. And John 3.16 comes in the midst of a guy that is self-righteous. In the midst of a good guy, you, he still says you've got to believe, you've got to put your faith in Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus or are you putting your faith in yourself? In your religion, in your religious activities, in your morality? Or have you looked upon and believed in Jesus? John 3.16 is for everyone. For those at the bottom of the rung, for those at the top of their game, the top of the social ladder. John 3, 16, the greatest. It says this. You can have this on the screen. The greatest. God, the greatest lover. So loved, the greatest degree. David, you have this. You've probably seen this on a meme, but you don't see it now. God, the greatest lover, so loved, the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest person, should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest deliverance have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. There it is. The good news for Nicodemus, 
for you and me. And the only thing we need is need. Have you seen your need? I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you are here in your self-righteousness to confess your self-righteousness to Jesus and come to faith in him, Maybe you've come to him in the past, but you are relying daily upon your works, upon your self-righteousness. Repent of your self-righteousness and look again to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. The hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote one called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You know this one? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. You pray with me? Father God, I fear for us this morning. I fear for these dear ones gathered this morning that we might be deceived by being in church, that we might be deceived by our goodness and not see our need. Holy Spirit, if that is that the case this morning, would you please bring life? Remake, renew, make alive hearts this morning that trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father God, I confess that though I have come to you and faith empty-handed I continually am tempted to go back and earn my righteousness to prove some kind of worthiness forgive me God for my unrighteousness and my self-righteousness it's in Jesus name we pray amen as we sing this morning I just want to invite you There's going to be folks at prayer stations holding candles. If you have been trusting in yourself, I want to invite you to lay down your good works and just come simply and trust Jesus. We'd love to pray with you. You're grieving this morning. You're hurting this morning. You just need someone to pray with you. Come forward to the front or back. There'll be people to pray with you. We'd love to do that.